I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two segments this week, uh, two or three, I should say, excellent guests. First up, Rebecca Lowe. Really does not need much of an introduction. She's the host of uh, Premier League coverage on NBC Sports. She's also an Olympic host for NBC. She is, um, along in my opinion with Ernie Johnson, best in class, best current working studio host right now, along with Ernie Johnson of Turner Sports. And if you are a Premier League fan... You most likely agree with me. Rebecca comes on today. Very nice for her to come on on short notice to talk about NBC retaining the Premier League. And, uh, you know, when she found out her role um, in um, at least in sort of making a little bit of the pitch, you'll find out what we talked about uh, there. And I certainly did ask her if this incentivizes her to stay with NBC to ultimately uh, extend that contract. And she was she answered the question. It's a little diplomatic answer, but you can sort of read into uh, that how you will. We talked about Manchester United and their struggles. Talked about Fulham a little bit. That's just a club I'm interested in, given the American um, connections. And so uh, great of her to come on to talk a little bit uh, about that. And then um, a media roundtable with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, media writer and columnist there, Austin Karp, the managing editor digital for Sports Business Journal, and myself. And we discuss our reactions to NBC landing the U.S. media rights to the Premier League through 2028. Talked a little about what it means for the MLS media rights, NFL viewership in 2021, and what the last part of the NFL regular season might bring as uh, this league hits uh, parity. Talked about the upcoming Olympic viewership from Beijing, and particularly with um, a lot of stories coming out now about uh, the treatment of uh, Peng Shui and how that might play in terms of NBC's coverage and in, in terms of what's going to happen at Beijing. And then we finish up with uh, Ohio State and Michigan in terms of what our viewership uh, expectations are. So Rebecca Lowe to start, Austin Karp, and Chad Finn to finish on the Sports Media Podcast. As I said at the top, Rebecca Lowe is the host of NBC Sports Group's Premier League coverage. She's also an Olympic host for NBC Universal. We, um, she's coming on this podcast at a, uh, and we appreciate it because NBC, of course, is in the news for its retaining of the Premier League, which is obviously a very exciting day for all the people who work in NBC Universal, like Rebecca, who. Um, who are part of that soccer community and very pleased to be joined by Rebecca Lowe. Rebecca, how are you? Welcome back. Lovely to be on the pod again, Richard. Yeah. Thank you so much. So um, I got a lot of uh, questions about um, your company retaining this. We'll actually make uh, some of these questions even very granular. So let's start here. When did you find out that NBC had retained the Premier League? I found out about 
15 seconds before Twitter found out. <laughs> I was in an airport hotel in the UK because we, my husband, myself, my little boy finally got to fly home and see my family and my husband's family for the first time in three and a half years with COVID and everything. It's been so hard. We have not seen my parents in two years. So we just spent 11 days in England and we were at Gatwick Airport and we were just having dinner and I was squeezing tomato ketchup onto my child's uh, plate when my boss, Pierre Moussa's name, flashed up on my phone. And of course, we were on tenterhooks because we knew that the shareholders meeting was happening. At, I think it was seven o'clock English time. And it was about, it was about, I don't know, it was about 7.30, maybe, maybe a little later. Um, and his name flashed up and I answered it and he told me. And he was obviously had a lot of phone calls to make. So I didn't hang on to him very long. And I took took picked up my phone went to twitter and i think it was john orand of the sbj who tweeted it first um i think i'm right in saying that i think you are and yep. i saw that yeah i saw that within within seconds afterwards so not a huge amount of time longer so i'm very grateful to pierre for calling me because it's always nice to hear through you know a human rather than a, a twitter account you know what uh what was your reaction when pierre called and you knew that uh nbc had retained you know what i i, I was first of all i was i was a bit shocked really i think it's because it, it was a little bit like waiting for exam results the last two weeks had been it was very um nervy for so many people not just me but so many people in my life and so many people in my job and my work who really 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 wanted this to happen and also really deserved it to happen richard as well and um so there were jobs on the line you know let's make no bones about it there were and so it was very nervy so and, and of course, you read every article that happened during the two weeks since the first bids went in and you think, oh, it's going to go this way. It's going to go that way. And I, I genuinely, if you'd asked me seconds before, I still had no idea uh, which way it would go. So I was a bit, sh I was kind of shocked that the news had finally come out. Um, and then I was just so happy for so many people who I knew were about to feel so much better about life. <laughs> Did Rebecca, did people like Pierre um, or NBC executives, did they keep you abreast of the proceedings? Oh, no, they kept us abreast of what they knew, which wasn't much. Um, I think it went to the second round as we had an email from Pierre. We had a couple of maybe two or three emails from Pierre um, and some of the other bosses throughout the two weeks, just keeping us abreast. I mean, on the whole, we knew it anyway, because like you said, so many so many outlets like the Times and SBJ were writing articles almost daily by the end. Martin Ziegler at the Times was writing something every day, uh, which was fascinating to me that it would take up so much coverage in a British newspaper. Um, so we were being kept abreast of whatever they knew they, they shared with us. But it was one of those situations where it was, there were no clues. For me, there were no clues at all. So they, they did what they could with any facts, but there was absolutely no knowing what was going to happen. Now, listen, in terms of how NBC has presented this product, the Premier League had a lot of data. You know, they had years of data. They had watched your coverage. But sometimes when it comes to this stuff, like talent will be part of the pitch to, um, to executives at a league. Did you have anything to do as talent as part of a pitch? Did you, did you reach out to anybody in the Premier League? Were you part of any videos that were sent or did that not happen in this case? I was, yes. Um, I think I can tell you that now. I mean, it's all done, so why not? Um, yes, I did do a sort of, I don't know what I would call it, a speech maybe, um, at the top of, um, at the beginning of a presentation um, and a pitch. So I did do something directly to the Premier League. It was just a, I don't know, I think I spoke for about five minutes, just sort of um, my own personal um, reasons why I felt 
football had grown and Premier League had grown and NBC's coverage had done so well. So I did, I did give my two pennies worth. Yeah, I mean, a, a tiny, tiny contribution, Richard, compared to everything else. But yes, I did. Was that now? Was that that's interesting? Was that a uh, was that like a direct presentation in front of them, or was that via video? No. How did that work? No, no, no. That was just like a down the line thing. What is it? What do you mean by down the line thing? Just, just over, just I don't even know. Just down, just down, um, down like the Zoom? camera, really. Like I think they, were, yeah, down the camera, straight, straight to them. They could see it. The other, I think, I think it was down, maybe down Zoom, something like that, or maybe recorded. I'm not even sure. And then they sent it to them. Down the camera. That's that's some slang that I have to like pick up on, Rebecca. Like <laughs> Are you, um, you know, since the NBC, um, you know, since this decision has been made and NBC is retained, you have been cited. You obviously, along with your uh, colleagues on studio show coverage, you know, you you've been cited by your own network as helping grow the product in the states and sort of by extension. What NBC has said is that part of the reason they think they retain, obviously, in addition to money, is the presentation of the coverage in the States. I wonder, that has to make you feel good, right? When your bosses come out and say, like, the product is a re at least they think is a reason why they retained. It does. It does, Richard. It really does. And I'm not very good at, at stopping. I think I've said this to you before on your podcast. I'm not brilliant at stopping in the moment. I'm constantly looking forward into the next day and the next day. But my husband on Thursday night forced me to sit down with a bottle of champagne and take a moment to celebrate what's been achieved. And of course, it's not just me. There's so many people on in front of the camera, behind the camera, just the, the ethos and the way that NBC have presented this, the commitment that they've shown, the resources they've put on, put into it over the last nine years, the detail with which we work um, I'd love somebody from the outside to come in and witness a week, uh, an average week in our lives, because the detail with, with which we work, how much care goes into it, um, to feel then that you had a small part to play in what has been a historic deal really is, it's pretty special. And it's certainly not something that I saw coming when I moved to America in 2013. I thought it might be three years and out, it'll go to somebody else, and it, you know, but this is, this is special and this has never happened before. And to see a product from the UK, go for 2.75, whatever it was, billion dollars, more than I, I think for the NHL deal, it tells you that it's not going away. It's only growing. And I, there are not many things left in this world that grow, Richard. There really aren't, certainly not in television world. Um, and it's, it, it's nice to be on the ship that's kind of heading in the right direction. So yeah, I'm really proud. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of all the people I work with. I'm proud to be associated with something that has been such a, a huge success have you since this happened spoken to any any of the robbies oh yeah yeah i i uh i we all were on text chains and things so immediately everybody was on the text chain straight away and actually pierre called a, a team's meeting within 20 minutes of the news and it was late in the uk by then um and everybody got on and it was one of those like we, you know, we did it. We did it, guys. Oh, my God, we did it. You know, well done us. And Pierre made a great speech and everyone had a little, a few words to say. So we had that. And then I saw um, Robbie Earl and Tim Howard at the weekend just gone by. Um, so, yeah. And I, I mean, walking in on Saturday morning for three or four days ago was really special because, you know, to, to talk to people who can breathe knowing that they've got six years coming of work, whether it's freelance person or a staff person, it's lovely. It's so nice to know that these people have got what they deserved. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that are really not written about a lot when it comes to these rights deals is just, you know, it really impacts so many lives. There, there's a group, obviously, at a network 
where they have job security, uh, or at least um, the prospect of job security for however many, however many years the deal goes on. And then sometimes, if you obviously if you lose the property, it can change your um, it can change your entire life. So I'm glad you brought that up. All right, Rebecca, I'm going to ask you one question when it comes to the um, retention of this um, specific to your future. I know you don't uh, love to um, look so far ahead, but I'm going to try to I'm going to try to drill you down, Rebecca, to at least answer politically, at least or, or like the United Nations. So listen, logistically, one would think that NBC retaining the Premier League would incentivize both you and NBC to extend your current contract when it expires next year. At least sort of broad strokes. What can you say about wanting to do the Premier League beyond 2022? Uh, it's 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 hard, Richard, because, you know, there, there's no guarantee in life that that an offer will be made. I mean, I'm not I'm not arrogant enough to think that just because NBC retain the rights, Richard, then, oh, I get another six years. That's not that's not a given to anybody in any walk of life. I've been like you just said about people who lose jobs. I've been at companies. I've been at ESPN when they lost the rights. I've been at Satanta Sports when they went bust um, and, and I lost my job. So I never, ever, ever take anything for granted. I'm I'm beyond proud of what I've achieved and what the show's achieved in nine years. Um, met some incredible people in front of and behind the camera. Um, I have brilliant agents for a reason. Um, I hand a lot of that over to them. And and obviously the ball is is in NBC's court anyway. They have, they have plenty of work to do to to work out how they're going to um, staff the next six years. But ultimately, whatever happens will be the right thing for my family and me. And, you know, it's been incredible. And just quite quite honestly, who knows, Richard? I, I just don't know. Do you enjoy the content still, Rebecca? I mean, I mean, you should have, I mean, three days ago, there I am. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's being fired and it's all going off. And then there's about 25 goals in during the 10 o'clock Eastern window on Saturday, which was just mad. That's what I love. I love when the craziness hits the fan, shall I put it? Um, I love the the nature of the Premier League because it's a soap opera and every single week someone else gets fired or there's been a, a big, big story off the field. And then you've got all the stories that come on the field. So it still stokes my fire. Absolutely. Um, it can't not. It's not something that fades. You know, the Premier League, is perennially addictive. Um, and yeah, I love it. All right. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the league uh, sort of this year. From your perspective, like why is Manchester United struggling? Those of us who sort of are of uh, a certain age, like it's it seems almost inconceivable that a Manchester United team, you know, would not be a top three, would not be a top four power. And at least at the moment, they're, they just feel like any other club. Why is that in your opinion? Uh, it goes back to a lack of succession planning. If you speak to any big club that is successful, and I mean even medium-sized clubs, Leicester City, Manchester City, Liverpool even, they already know right now who they want to be their next manager, right? So when Guardiola leaves City, City already know who they want next. The same at Leicester, the same at Southampton, the same at... Um, Liverpool. These clubs are brilliantly structured within them with football people mixed with business people to have a succession plan. Back in 2013, Manchester United said goodbye to Sir Alex Ferguson. There was no succession plan. Ferguson decided that David Moyes was the right man. But the problem was he needed time. And after eight months, they panicked because they were seventh, I think, in the league and they were struggling. They fired him. And from then on, they have made 
pretty much mistake after mistake with absolutely no planning whatsoever. They have let world-class managers pass them by and go and join other clubs. Um, so many of them, by the way, and I include the likes of Klopp in that because Klopp joined Liverpool in 2015. Well, that was, I think, when Louis van Gaal was manager of Manchester United and not doing great. He won the FA Cup and that was it. Um, they need better planning. They need better people in the building to understand the mixture that football and business is. It's so unique, Richard, and they don't have that right now. And absolutely, the last week has proven that because they fired Ole Gunnar Solskjaer two weeks after they could have fired him and hired Antonio Conte, a man who is in the elite group of managers, which only has about five managers in it. Conte's in that group. They let him go to Spurs and then fired Solskjaer two weeks later? It's the most bizarre thing. They're now having to find a, an interim manager till the end of the season whilst giving it already to the, the assistant, Michael Carrick, on an interim basis before they find the person they want next summer because they don't think they can get Pochettino out of Paris before the summer. I think if they really want to, they could. Uh, and maybe that will be proven. But ultimately, it's a mixture of poor decision-making from the hierarchy at the club which is, in my opinion, the biggest club in the world. And they, they've done it now for eight years. They need to stop this soon or they're going to fall even further. So it's a big, big, big problem. And like you, I grew up with United winning leagues every season. It's bizarre to see them right now in eighth position, but they are a juggernaut. And no matter what happens, United will always be one of the biggest clubs in the world. They've just got to make the right decisions. And at the moment, and for the last eight years, they haven't. If we had this conversation one year from today... The World Cup would be would have commenced. Uh, I think it's November twenty first, twenty twenty two, is when um, that tournament kicks off. From your experience, have you found that um, is there a correlation between Premier League play and a World Cup year? Meaning that um, do you feel like the 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 league is more exciting? In a World Cup year, are players sort of really primed and in sort of best possible form, or is there no correlation? I mean, you've, you've gone through this a couple of times. What's your perspective on that? I think there's correlation between um, World Cup and also European Championship years. So I think we've seen that coming out of the delayed Euro 2020 tournament that happened last summer. Lots of lots of England players certainly out of form. Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, just played so much football, Richard. Harry Kane even just played so much football. So this is going to be an interesting one because, of course, it comes halfway through the season. So I, I fully expect from August the 6th, I think it is, the beginning of next season, to it to go a million miles an hour for three months as everyone has this three-month audition to get into their national team. I think that will raise the levels significantly in the Premier League. What happens the other side of the World Cup for the rest of the season has never been happened before. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it could be huge in terms of the effect it has. We could have big injuries. We could have exhaustion, fatigue, because a World Cup is not just exhausting when you're playing so many games, but you're traveling and they're obviously going to be in the heat. And also the mental side of it, certainly if you play for England, you're under immense mental pressure, immense. Um, and to come back home and have to go straight back into your club and, and pick up where you left off in November is a huge mental request. So I think we will see a slightly disjointed season next year, at a million miles an hour before the World Cup and probably about a mile an hour afterwards. I think it's going to be an odd one. I mean, I might be totally wrong, but that's how I would look at it based on World Cups and European Championship years in, in, in the past. It's interesting. Um, I want to ask you one more question about one more team. They happen to be a championship uh, team. They're in the, uh, the the championship division as opposed to the Premier League, and that's Fulham. And they're interesting to me, of course, because the Khan family 
in the States owns them. Obviously, the Khan family owns uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tony Khan um, is a major figure in all elite wrestling. For those who um, are fans of professional wrestling, they know who Tony is. That's a really interesting club to me. Rebecca, because they've been in the Premier League before, they're in London, and they have these American owners with like endless pockets. If I had to guess, as a layperson fan of the Premier League, like my guess is like they should be in the Premier League for an extended period of time and not sort of bouncing back and forth just given their deep pockets. Um, what's your just sort of overall perspective of what you know about Fulham? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the problem is... They're in a very, very densely populated area of London where football is concerned. So West London has got Brentford and it's got Chelsea and it's got Fulham and it's got QPR. So you've, you're asking fans to choose Fulham over three other clubs and they don't have a massive fan base. There's a kind of a, not a joke, but a kind of a, a, a warmth about Fulham that people talk about in that they're the only club in the Premier League when they're in the Premier League that has a neutral area. I'm fairly certain that's still a thing where you, if you just want to go, you're, you live in West London and you have a bit of money in your pocket, you fancy going to watch a, a game, you can go and sit in the neutral area. You don't have to be a Fulham fan or an away fan. That is really unfootball-like in England. So there is a, a warmth about the club and a softness about the club that sometimes I think means that it's not as hard-nosed as it should be. It's a lovely place. You, you ask any footballer, I've asked many, it's a lovely place to go and play your football if you're an away, if you're an away player. Again, that's not a good thing. It's got to be an intimidating place to go and play your football. It's a small ground. They're having it developed right now, but it's a small ground. It's an old-fashioned ground. It's got an amazing history, um, but it's just not a huge club. And it's difficult to expand that ground anymore because every single side of the ground is hit with either the River Thames on one side and the other three are hit with houses. It's really difficult to expand. And as we know, the only way football clubs can really get bigger is if you expand your fan base and ex expand your stadium. And then you get more, more uh, fans through the door, more money through the turnstiles and more money to spend on players. So they have been yo-yo. I mean, they've been in the Premier League for, you know, clutches of years at a time. Um, but again, they haven't made brilliant decisions where it's come to promoting when they've got promoted, they've not always made very good recruitment decisions. They've either spent too much money or they haven't spent enough money. They haven't really found that middle ground. So top of the league right now, as they are in the championship, looking set to be promoted again. That's great. They're now going to be up there probably with Brentford in the Premier League and fighting against Brentford for local, for local fans and those kind of things. I just think that the ownership there, again, hasn't made brilliant decisions once they start. And maybe that comes with time. Tony can't, you know, they've been there a while now, maybe Shard Khan, maybe it comes with time and they learning this business, which is totally different from the NFL and wrestling. And now they're going to come up next season and maybe make different decisions that can a little bit like Crystal Palace have a run by Steve Parrish and, and, and a couple of Americans as well. And they make brilliant decisions to stay in the Premier League as long as they have a very, very similar sized club, to Fulham they've done it Fulham can do it it's just about the right people in the building Richard that's interesting I appreciate that perspective uh and the London thing just the the density I didn't think about but that actually makes a lot of sense to me all right two more uh topics real quick first Rebecca I'm sure you're aware of the like the massive success of Drive to Survive the Netflix Formula One series and I wonder if you think um do you think there any Premier League club would ever allow that kind of access to do a 
um, like a weekly documentary where you really went all access. I know that we have seen these sometimes like after a season where somebody may um, sort of embed with a team for the whole year and then you put out a doc. But do you think the Premier League would ever or a Premier League team would ever allow this to happen during an actual season? Because if nothing else, we've seen massive success for Formula One when it comes to the series. I think they would but I don't think it would be a big club. There is too much at stake. I mean, I'm trying to imagine Manchester City doing that on a weekly basis. If it came out every week, you're opening yourself up to huge amounts of criticism and eyes which you and pressure, which you don't need. So if something goes on in the dressing room at Manchester City and it's filmed and it goes out on the Sunday night, that is going to be the biggest story. It's going to dominate English newspapers and it will bring so much more pressure on the manager's shoulders and the player's shoulders. Whereas if it never if it never got filmed, it always stays in-house. And I don't think that that's a positive thing. So where it comes to a big club, no, I don't think so. When it And also they don't need the money as much. But, but it, you might see it. I mean, talking about Fulham, for example, you might see it with a newly promoted club who come up could do the, an extra 10, 20 million, whatever it is that they will pay, um, have less to lose, less PR problems, um, like a Norwich, for example. And and it could be a way that they show how they're trying to stay in the Premier League. Yes. The, the problem is so much that happens in football clubs stays in football clubs. And you th- and that's amazing considering how much coverage there is of football clubs in English newspapers. Um but there's a whole another 80% that goes on we don't know anything about. Um, and as soon as that comes out, it becomes dom- really dominant. So it would be a huge risk. I would say the only the only clubs would be the smaller clubs who who maybe could do with the money. All right, Rebecca, I was told by um, your very uh, stout PR staff at NBC that on Boxing Day, are you guys going to be on for like some absurd period of time, like 13 hours or something like that? I think that's pretty much the standard every Boxing Day, Richard. It's, I think I'm right in saying it's a four-game stretch. So I want to say we'll be on at 7 a.m., and I think we'll be off at like 7 p.m. <laughs> Something crazy like that. It's a long day. So you've done that. All right. So I take that. So this is not the, but generally speaking, that's been the boxing day schedule yeah, for it, you. Yeah. At least. It's basically, I remember, you remember Project Restart and the whole of last season. Yes. That was like the same every Saturday, every Sunday. I mean, we literally did 12 hour shows every Saturday, every Sunday throughout the last year. So this boxing day is just what we've been doing for the last couple of seasons. But yes, most, but most boxing days, I think since we started have been crazy, crazy, crazy. All right, Rebecca, you've been very kind to give me time, so I'm going to end on this. I know that you are active on Instagram, but I just want to let you know I'm proud of you for being a on-air talent who has kept her word and not joined Twitter, which I think is very <laughs> smart for your mental <laughs> mental health. So you have not done it. You have not, you have, you have, you know, you, you have stayed true to like, you know, you weren't going to be on social media. You did go on Instagram, but you've stayed away from Twitter, which I once again, uh, for those of us who unfortunately have to deal in that space, my advice to you is never to enter that public square. I think you're, I think you're smart on that. So I hope that's the case for you. It's not even tempting, I promise you. I mean, apart from anything else, I spend far too long on my phone as it is, which actually is why I've tried to cut down Instagram because I've just, I just, I hate it when I'm at home and my my son is around and I'm on my phone. I hate that, Richard. So being on Twitter would make that triple worse. Plus. You know, I'm human. I don't really want to be abused. Thanks. I'm okay. I'm okay for, without getting the abuse. You, could, they, I'm sure they are abusing me. I'm sure they are. But you know, they, everyone tells me I'm biased all the time, no matter what team they support on Instagram. So I can't imagine what they're saying on Twitter. So it's definitely a decision that will never be reversed. I can promise you that, Richard. 
Instagram is a, it's a sort of a happier place. Yeah. All right, Rebecca, listen, I, as always, it is great for you to come on. You sort of, you know, you at least answered the one tough question that I asked you. But, I mean, it, this was, you know, this was like a Boutris Boutris golly. It was a, it was a United Nations uh, Secretary General answer by you, but I didn't expect otherwise. Well, you're the only person who I'd ever let ask me that question, Richard. I know. <laughs> I do. I feel, I do, I am, I, I'm, trust me, I'm very appreciative of that. I'm really psyched um, that you're, uh, that you're, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not rooting for a company per se, but I'm psyched that I, that as a viewer and a really big fan of your show, I get, I get to see you um, with this content heading forward. I, I would hope that NBC, um, and your agents uh, will ultimately figure this out. It'd be kind of insane if they um, did not. And um, and you know, again, just I wish you nothing but the uh, the the best of success. And you should real feel really good because, and I wouldn't say this to many on air people, I do think the quality product that you and your your group has put together, I, I think, really did have a factor in terms of the EPL. I mean, these things do come down to money, but you really did give them, I think, a just an incredible, uh, some incredible evidence as to as to how a league can be grown through a television product, and you should feel great about that. So, congrats! Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Rebecca. Lowe, everyone. All right, as I mentioned at the top, two people have been on this podcast many times. Austin Carp is managing editor slash digital of Sports Business Journal, part of that fine publication. If you uh, have ever gone to conferences, you've seen Austin host uh, many panels, does a great job. And Chad Finn is the sports media writer as well as a general columnist for the Boston Globe. Austin and Chad, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Awesome Thanks, to be Rich. here. One of these days, I'm going to have to assign you guys to exclusive. I know there's a lot of other podcasts out there now that you guys can be part <laughs> of. So we'll, we'll have all our agents... I don't think any of us have agents. We'll have, we'll have all our pretend agents work together to make this possible. All right, so here's where I want to start since Rebecca Lowe is the guest that precedes you guys. I'll start with you, Austin. Where's your immediate reaction to NBC landing the U.S. media rights for the Premier League through 2028? The uh, the agreement's worth around $2.7 billion. And if I do my math and accounting correctly, that's well over double the previous deal. Huge win for the Premier League. Uh, while I thought... It was going to maybe go to two separate entities or, you know, like that combination of ESPN, CBS that had been floated. Uh, Either for the NBC and the Premier League, it's an incredible win. And it shows that all these people that keep talking about that bubble since I've been doing this, we're not there yet. Um, Another big winner is going to be MLS because you had, what, six companies bidding for these rights and they're going to go to market or they're already out there in the market looking for their uh, next media deal. And it shows that there's a healthy appetite for soccer, particularly as not just legacy media companies, some of these digitally native uh, companies look to fill time, uh, look to fill those streaming platforms as destination viewing. So uh, I see it as a big win for sports, big win for soccer and big win for, you know, people that are going to be looking for media rights around the corner. Yeah, before we leave this topic, we'll get back to the MLS. I'm glad you brought that up, Austin. Um, Chad, like Austin, I I think... I would have expected there to be multiple media partners here just because in North American sports, that's clearly been the trend. The last big rights deal we saw before this, the NHL, obviously with ESPN and Turner with sort of the thought process that, you know, if you have two big entities, that's that's two promotional, mighty promotional vehicles as opposed to one. In this case, Premier League stays with NBC. Obviously, they got paid. But I'm with Austin. If you would have asked me six months ago, like, would NBC have retained? I would have said yes, but with a partner. 
in the end, they get it solo. What did you think? Yeah, I thought ESPN was going to be involved in some way with uh, you know all the all the content that they're they're pushing toward uh, Disney Plus with the uh, the NHL deal and uh, something thought it would be something similar to what they ended up with there, where the, there was a partner like Turner, except that partner in this case being NBC. But I, I, I think it's really good for uh, you know soccer fans or, or football fans or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, there's continuity here. And NBC's done a terrific job with the Premier League uh, and with its with its coverage of the sport in general since when did they get rights? I think it was like 2013. It's been a while. Um, and uh, I've heard uh, fr- from the really passionate fans, and there seems to be an increasing number of them in the United States, uh, I've heard almost nothing but good things about the coverage and the way NBC has handled everything. So uh, overall, you know, it... it uh, Probably is a bit of a surprise that there's nobody else involved here to, to uh, uh, maximize uh, you know viewership and 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 uh, probably get a little bit more money out of it too beyond the 2.7 billion that they're getting. But um, I think it's uh, overall it's a, it's a pretty good win for for people who care about the sports. This could be for either of you guys if you want. I'll direct it direct it to Austin to start. Austin, I was on the um, NBC put together a pretty quick like. Um, Post deal conference call with Pete Bavacqua, Pete Pete Bavacqua, yeah, easy for me to say, NBC Sports uh, chairman, and John Miller, who's uh, you know, another high high up uh, C suite guy at NBC Sports. And what was interesting is they said that the the soccer fan will continue to get Premier League coverage on NBC, big NBC, um, like you know USA. You know, replacing NBC Sports Network, which ends in, on December 31st, and Peacock. But my initial sort of thought is that, like, you know, you're doing this deal, I think, as a way to sell Peacock subscriptions and to make Peacock a much more or continually a valuable entity. And I wonder if that, I, I guess, what I'm what I was thinking about with this deal, Austin. I'd love to get your take on it. Is like in 2026, 2027, you you think that like we're still getting games on all of those, you know, on, on over the air on cable and on Peacock, or does this deal as sort of it moves on and as streaming gets bigger, like, does it really start to more morph towards Peacock? Cause that was one of my sort of initial thoughts is if you're a soccer fan, you know, like what's your timetable in terms of like being able to watch the premier league w- without eventually just jumping on Peacock. Well, first things first, the number of times that I've confused saying Pete Bavacqua and Chris Bevilacqua, uh, I've run, I, I just it's very ins- all the inside time. baseball. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, I, I think that that's one of the benefits of NBC keeping it to themselves is that they have the tonnage to feed all of those mouths. And I think you do. And I think they have looked in down the road and looked at that five years from now, and they are going to be able to have that Saturday game and put it, you know, put a decent match up there. And that is the best part about keeping all of these rights is that they're going to be able to put some marquee games on Peacock as a draw for fans while also still putting games on USA, but they don't necessarily have to, you know, choose. They're they're going to be a ton of good games. There are so many good premier league games that I don't really think it's going to be a problem. And I think they're going to be able to, to feed all those mouths uh, and grow Peacock um, with this new deal. It's an interesting way to look at it. And um, unquestionably, unquestionably the league is so deep that, um, 
you know, there are really sort of great teams abound. The one thing, though, is if, if you really want to watch every one of your team's games, including the big clubs like, you know, Chelsea and Man City, et cetera, like you have to get Peacock. So um, so that's one to watch. I want to chat out, you know, Austin brought up MLS, and I want to go to you here. You have a, you have a team in your market, uh, New England Revolution. Good one. Yeah, a good one, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I am, uh, you know, MLS to me when it comes to – uh, media rights, like I'm always sort of puzzled by it because on the one hand, like it's high level, you know, it, it's still quality programming and it's quality programming that Fox and ESPN both have. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm swiping this from Austin and his colleague Mark Burns. The uh, the regular season games draw whatever, 250,000, 300,000, something like that. Again, we're not, we're not talking NFL college football, but you know, that's a real number that you can you can sell off, and then the postseason or the MLS Cup obviously gets higher. At the same time, you know, we're not talking close to, like, the Premier League. We're not talking close to the NHL or the NBA. So when thinking about MLS rights and who might want them, you know, the real value to me strikes me as inventory more than the viewership possibilities. But there are people who report on this much closer than me. So I'm curious. Uh, I'll get Austin you to follow up too. Chad, what do you like? What's, what do you think the, just the interest is in MLS? And is maybe the interest great just because it's the next one of the next big rights deals that are actually available for people? Yeah, well, it feels like, I mean, we've talked about this for generations and it, uh, it was slow coming to fruition. Maybe it hasn't even totally happened yet, but it, it feels like soccer is really the, the next great growth area in the United States. Um, I'm basing that uh, a lot on, on just how, how the sense I get around here, the, uh, the response to the broadcasts here in New England for the revolution, which are on NBC Sports Boston and um, seem to generate more and more interest with each passing year. They've had a phenomenal season this year. So obviously expectations are going to be higher then, but um, just you see it in web traffic. You, you see it in the, uh, in your email inbox or on social media when, you know, you neglect to mention them or neglect to talk about them at a, um, you know, at a level that, that readers and fans want at this point, it's just increased and increased. And, I feel like that translates to that is going to translate to uh, their broader popularity, and that this league is is uh, is going to keep growing. And everybody's looking for content. Everybody's looking for um, ways to fill out their streaming services. And uh, it feels to me like um, whoever ends up with the MLS is going to be getting a a, a a burgeoning league at the right time. Um, you know, you mentioned before too, just to touch on the previous subject. Uh, Peacock's got to get better. Um, of all the streaming services that I use, and you have a bunch because everything's so sliced and diced and spread out now, uh, that's the that's the most obnoxious interface of all of them. It's it's uh, it, yeah, it's just I, I mean I, I'm I'm not skilled enough at that to say what they should do, but I know what I like and what I don't like, and and uh, a Peacock feels like you're just scrambling surfing to find whatever you want on there every day so uh, if this is going to become an even more regular home for the premier league it needs to uh it needs to get better at uh, making its content uh, readily available and easy to find on its on its uh service austin if you um you know if you if you're sort of betting the over here if you're if you're if you're um if you're all in on mls i think one of the data points that you'd look to is the 2026 world cup is coming to the states It'll be in, uh, it's coming to Canada, coming to Mexico. It's a North American World Cup. There'll be so much massive promotion for soccer. And even though Fox will have the World Cup, 
Like you would think that just the the everything, all the boats get get risen yeah. because of all the interest in soccer. So I'm sure, you know, if you're MLS, you're thinking about that. But you know, if you're one of these, if you're in Amazon or um, you know, or or any of these new uh, digital players and the traditional legacy players, I think I think you, you're not only thinking about the MLS as its own property. I think you have to be thinking about okay, maybe if this 2026 World Cup is truly the signature moment in the history of the United States in soccer. Well, soccer is going to be very, very different heading forward. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Chad hit on a lot of the salient points there, but I mean, he's right on so much of that, that, I mean, you are getting in with a property that has a very sharp upward trajectory in its future. This is a league that is 25 years old. This is not baseball. This is not football. This is not soccer. Like you're talking about a 7,500 year head start for a lot of those leagues. And it's a league that, like Chad mentioned, it addresses and appeals to a growing demographic in this country. So I think a lot of these entities, these streaming entities, media, whatever, absolutely want to be a part of that. Now, looking at MLS itself, yeah, the TV numbers just aren't there yet. It's a, uh, it's an incredible at-venue product, maybe one of the, the best yeah, out there. Phenomenal. They've done, I think, a great job in setting, some, setting themselves up right now. Um, as best as they can be going into these media rights, considering that they're not going to have those U.S. soccer rights now, but they've put out there, okay, we're going to have our lo- you know local TV. That could be an option. And you've seen streaming entities like YouTube TV get involved in that front. They've had LAFC rights or, or some of the other uh, local teams out West. Um, and one of the more interesting things that I think that they've added is the tie-up with uh, Liga MX over the summer, that Nations Cup, I think it's going to be called, where they'll take a month essentially and do one of these in-season FA Cup style tournaments. And I think there's huge potential in that tie-up and tying up with these Mexican clubs. If you can get a team like Chivas playing, you know, or playing playing the Revolution or getting some sort of uh, rivalry going with some of these clubs, you know, I, I think that there's tremendous value there. And I, I think that is the future, a closer integration of MLS and Liga MX into this North American league that really pushes soccer forward here, you know, in the United States, in North America. But uh, if I'm like a team president on the MLS side, I'm maybe a little worried about what is the future of my local TV rights because, uh, it's, it's not all you know equal there. Some clubs are obviously more popular in their markets and they want to keep those local rights to keep, keep that money. And there is not necessarily as much interest in some of the, maybe the smaller teams or less popular teams. So I'm, in, I'm very much interested in see what happens on the local angle with the next media rights deal too. Yeah. First, your report about League MX is phenomenal because like that league is just intensely popular. And then just look at the Spanish uh, language viewership numbers for both uh, the U.S. national team or MLS or certainly like World Cup qualifiers for Mexico as well as the U.S. Like I'm with you. If they could ever sort of figure out that partnership, they uh, they got to they got to. It's one of the more it can, I think it just continues to be one of the more underreported values in North American media rights are Liga MX, just even regular season games what univision unimas uh, tudn uh, get for those games and, and telemundo too because they have the exclusive rights for chivas like those are double or maybe even triple like what even premier league gets so it's just a huge number all right speaking of big viewership let's move to the nfl uh awesome i'm gonna stick with you 
It's it's been a weird league. It's been a weird league. It's been a win- weird year in the NFL in that there's a lot of parity, which maybe Roger Goodell loves because in theory, like you know, week 15, 16, 17, etc., like should be really really tight and those games should matter. But there's not necessarily like a super team. There's not a you know there's not one team right now that's you know the undefeated Patriots or something like that. And you're sort of like already and putting them in the Super Bowl. So where are we right now with the NFL and viewership, Austin? I mean, very few people are better at this in the world than you. And then where do you expect it to be heading forward with the understanding that it does look like a lot of these games later are going to matter? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of glancing at the schedule earlier. And, you know, I, you look at like a Sunday night, what's slated for Sunday night football, and I don't see any flex coming there, um, you know, barring some of these scenes falling off the map in week 17 and week 18. And, you know, I'm just getting used to now saying week 18. But I, I do think the NFL, they were going to see an increase over 2020, uh, obviously, just given the, the calendar there and the impact that, you know, the COVID shift had with other properties early on there. And the impact of moving some games that got canceled, and not to mention that the huge spike in cable TV news was seeing at the time. I mean, cable TV news is in the tank compared to what it was a year ago. So that's helping the NFL in that year-over-year comp. But seeing these multi-year highs dating back to, you know, whether it's 2018 or whether it's going to be 2015, 2016, somewhere in that range, like that's a big win for the NFL. And I think that they built, even if there's a little bit of drop-off in the, in the latter part of the season now, I think they built in enough of a buffer to see some sort of multi-year high. Um, there are some good games coming up. The Cowboys are still going to be a, a decent number. I'm curious to see what Chiefs Cowboys got yesterday in the national window, despite that not really being the competitive game that they may have wanted. But uh, there's some strong games that in, in the back half that are going to provide numbers. You know, you got a Bills Bucks game that could be good. Chiefs Chargers looks like it, that could be a, that's a Thursday night game, and I think that's going to do well and help out that package. And, uh, you know, there'll be some shuffling around uh, on the Sunday afternoons and there'll be some games that matter. And I, it, I think it's all positive for the NFL this season. Chad, um, you know, I mean, Austin covered it like the the, the NFL is always in a good position. I mean, we're, we're you know, we're when we even talk about viewership, we're just we're talking about like a product that's just in a different stratosphere than every other entertainment product out there. But like Austin, like I, you know, I. I generally tend to like super teams when it comes to viewership. Like I think the NBA is up this year because the Warriors are really, really good. And I think people like to watch stars. Like I think that's, you know, polarizing teams are important. The Cowboys sort of prove that. But this may be a year where we can sort of examine like what the viewership value is of of a, of a really tight, important game late in the year that doesn't necessarily involve like the traditional high viewership teams but has a great window whether it's a primetime winner or that 425 window when you look at the nfl sort of writ large chad viewership wise what are you seeing this year yeah I, you know I, I i there definitely are no super teams and uh you know roger goodell has tacitly said that for years that his idea uh, uh his ideal nfl was uh, parody all over the place uh, you can't have 32, eight and eight teams. Now you could have some nine and eights and eight and nines in there, but uh, the, the math doesn't quite line up like he used to, but he, I mean, he's talked about this. I remember been talking about it uh, in 2012 uh, before one of the Super Bowls, And um, I think this year is kind of their ideal where you have a lot of different teams that have a plausible shot of at least getting to the Super Bowl, And you also have the superstars still involved. I mean, um, 
the Chiefs are revived. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is is in the picture uh, as a, a contender again. The Patriots have gone from two and four to seven and four. They have a really balanced team, but the, their star is the coach. Um, you know, Brady in Tampa Bay. Uh, um, uh, you know, Rogers in Green Bay. So even if you've got a bunch of teams, uh, you know, in the final final eight in the playoffs, uh, you're going to still have some of the most prominent players in the NFL. Uh, especially the quarterbacks. So uh, I think this is kind of the ideal. And I think, uh, I, I think Richard, it's going to continue to translate to, uh, you know, bigger ratings as the season goes on. I, I've been getting bombarded all week from people asking if they're going to flex this Titans Patriots game <laughs> this weekend. I'm like, well, no, I mean, they made that clear two weeks ago that uh, nothing along those lines was going to happen at all. It's a little early for that anyway, but uh, um, you know, people are already thinking about, uh, about these tight matchups coming up at the end of the year. And even if you've got, you've got teams uh, that aren't 15 and two or 14 and three at the end, uh, you're, you're still going to end up with very compelling matchups with uh, a lot of star star power in those games. I was going to say, the only thing I think the NFL would want to flex right now is bears Lions uh, early Thanksgiving window. <laughs> really? uh, that's going to, that's a tough one, but uh, we'll see, you know, if that does well, heck that's an indication that should show you what the strength is. If that's pulling a big number, like, you know, or up compared to previous Thanksgivings, if that can do an increase, you know, God bless the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the um, the, the, the big problem there is that the, li- the Bears losing this week um, in a game they really could have won, like three and sevens are much different than four and six. Like three and seven almost feels like you're out. And obviously the Lions are long gone. So, yeah, even with the tradition, the Thanksgiving tradition of the Lions and obviously the Bears being a, mega city i don't i'm not sure am i the only one that that likes the lions on thanksgiving i i i don't know if it's just (laughs) old man nostalgia here or or something but i I always like seeing them um even when it's yeah i'm a little i'm a i mean listen it's a great it's a great fan base and i would love to see the team do well but yeah i i could go for some new i could go for something it ended when barry sanders retired i get it Pretty. Uh, I was about to say Barry Sanders was the barometer there. And, you know, I, I want to flex uh, Thanksgiving dinner to Thanksgiving lunch so that I can, uh, you know, watch the later games. Yeah, I would flex too. Awesome. One quick one, and then um, we'll move on to our last topic. Um, Manning MegaCast for the rest of the year. Uh, the 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 viewership high I think is one point nine. I think the last week I want to say you would know this like one point five, maybe one point six, something something like that. Yeah. Okay. Do you think one nine is the ceiling? And whatever the floor is, is one four one three, or or do you see some potential still serious variations in that in their last couple of uh, broadcasts? I think tonight is your 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 Huckleberry there. I think that could push you over too. Okay, we're taping just so people know about. we're taping we're taping this, even though you will hear it afterwards, um, right before the Giants and the Bucks. Yeah, I mean Eli Manning talking Giants, uh, you know, talking the Tom Brady game. Uh, I think there's potential there. Um, to, to push over 2 million. I think that continues to grow in popularity as people have figured out what it is over the course of the season. And as Peyton and Eli have gotten better at it over the course of the season. And I watched, I remember watching week one, I was like, this is kind of a disaster. And, you know, you realize it's week one and they were just getting their, their feet wet a little bit, but they've gotten a lot better. The guests have continued to be strong. And with a, you know, what I know the giants aren't having the best season, but with a popular game like this tonight, uh, I think that could drive over two million. Interesting. All right, that's. So, I'll, I'll look for that uh, viewership. Number. You can hold me to it. Yeah. No. That, that you may. You know what? I think about that. But 
Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, New York market, Tampa obviously is a national team with Brady. Uh, so we'll see. That that's that's an interesting one. All right, here's the um, here is two more topics uh, that I want to get to. First one is the Olympics coming up. Beijing Olympics. Uh, we're within, if I do my math, I think three months or so from the 2022 Olympics. It looks to be that athletes will go. The Biden administration talking about a diplomatic boycott. Some other countries have talked about that as well. That that makes sense to me. I, I don't I, I don't see an athlete boycott, and I think almost history tells you that the the athlete boycott doesn't necessarily. Um, provide you what you want. I've heard some people sort of talk about athletes in some Western countries not marching in the opening ceremony. That's kind of an interesting one. So, uh, Chad, I want to start with you here. The, um, you know, not to be so cynical, but I really never expect NBC to get into any kind of deep discussions journalistically. The NBC Sports, I should say, about this stuff. They'll always have the news team around in case news happens or, or in case something happens. But, you know, as we're taping this, we, um, we've just spent the last week and a half, two weeks on news about Chinese tennis star Peng Shui. Um, yeah. She alleged that the former vice premier of the country sexually assaulted her. Uh, the, we, we didn't hear from her for a little bit. And as we're taping this now, she has appeared through um, Chinese state media, one meeting with the IOC. But it's very, very unclear as to what is going on in that story and how much is propaganda and how much is not. Um, that's a sort of a large sort of opening chat. To, to I don't really have any sense as to the American interest in the Olympics outside of if I go with the traditional stuff, a week before the Olympics start, they'll get into it and people will want to watch. But this, I don't know, this feels different. There's a lot of, there seems to be a lot more interest in the government of China right now. This is a major international story with this tennis player and I don't have a real feel for like how the Olympics is going to play here in the States. Do you at this moment? Uh, not particularly. Um, I'm curious what effect a diplomatic boycott would have. I mean, uh, you know, uh, U.S. officials not being there, um, I suppose, delivers a message to China, but it, uh, it uh, really can't see it uh, having any kind of significant impact beyond that, beyond, uh, you know, symbolic Um it does feel like uh, that sports fans and, and people tune into the Olympic are a little bit caught off guard by it, even with, you know, NBC doing the, the promos for a couple months now of, uh, uh, of having the Olympics and the Super Bowl at the same time. Uh, it feels really close to, because it is, to the, to the Summer Olympics. And I do wonder if there's going to be any kind of... Uh, any kind of not necessarily backlash to that, but just kind of a hangover from, you know, having everything packed in the winter and summer games packed in into uh, such a, such a close little window here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think we'll really ever, I don't think we can really get a sense for how it's going to go until, uh, you know, they turn on the studio lights and, and uh, NBC cranks this thing up again. And uh, we we see how, just how interested uh, the, the U S viewership is. Yeah, and no, Austin, to go to you, I mean, NBC is also coming off a uh, a viewership of the previous Olympics, which was, I mean, was setting um, setting record lows all over the place. Now, you know, time difference is going to be an issue, and it's going to be an issue again in, in some ways in Beijing, but, you know, the... The television property is never going away. I, I would never say something like sort of silly as that, but you know, you do wonder what what 
what what the Olympics is as a, as a viewership play heading forward, and then this one is going to play out in a country far away, in a in a country where there's a lot of Americans who have problems with their um, with their human rights and and other things. And so, like I I'll I'll open it to you, and if you want to look at it on a viewership play, please do. I, I have no feel for how these Olympics will be played in the States in terms of viewership, other than I'm just going to, whatever the last Olympics was in terms of viewership, I'm just betting down. I just can't tell you how down it's going to be. I'd say it's going to be a record low for winter games, uh, you know, on those primetime windows that the numbers, you know, those numbers, those key numbers that are published. Uh, there's just, I don't think geopolitical lines draw viewers and, you know, barring, and I'm going to tug at your WWE heartstrings here. Richard, I mean, barring Tanya and Nancy pulling an ultimate warrior and coming out, you know, from the from the back of the stage and running onto the ice during the women's free skate, I don't know what's going to drive viewership. There, it's like you said, it's the combination of you know not great time zones for American viewing, and we're in a run here between 2018, 2020, 2022, uh, you know, of, of having Asian Olympics, Asia-based Olympics, and. It's combined with kind of a retirement of a lot of star power. I mean, that was particularly during the summer games. But the winter games aren't as popular as the summer to begin with. Um, I love what NBC decided to do, putting uh, Olymp- live Olympic coverage after the Super Bowl. I mean, I think, yeah, you're looking at what's going to be probably a record audience for what is that late night window from 1030 to midnight or whatever it is that they have. I'm, I'm sure they're hoping that that does not go to overtime, you know, uh, if you're on the Olympic side. Uh, One thing I do know is that, you know, Molly Solomon and crew are going to put on an incredible production. They always do. It's always great viewing and they always do a great job with the storytelling, but yeah, we'll see if uh, some names can emerge from this young names in particular that, you know, they can sell to us audiences going forward. Yeah. They have at the moment, um, they're in a, in a similar boat as the summer Olympics in that, they don't have a pre-built winter star unless I'm missing it. There's no, you know, there's no Michelle Kwan. There's no Apollo Ono. I, I, Michaela Schiffer is an incredible skier, but she doesn't resonate with the U.S. I think the way, um, you know, like a Michael Phelps would. And as great as the hockey will be, and I, I love hockey, and so I'll totally watch it. You know, that's that's a tough that's a tough marketing sell. You know what I mean? It's just to like. It's 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 still a regional game in the states, so it's a little tough to just all of a sudden market. You know, hey, it's Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby going against Austin Matthews. Like it's just it's a tricky marketing thing. So you're right. I think no, the, undoubtedly the production of it will be good. I, I mean, you know, sometimes they overplay their storytelling hand, but that's you know, it's Ebersol and NBC, and it will it will always be as thus. But yeah, I'm with you, Austin. I think. This is a massive challenge here. The the and we'll move to Ohio State, Michigan to end this. The interesting thing and why I wouldn't bury the Olympics forever. Just look at what's coming down the road: Paris, yeah. Los Angeles, and those will be phenomenal viewership Olympics. Unless you know the world doesn't exist, which you know maybe fifty fifty proposition. But um, I think it's yeah, it's built in a little bit when you go to Asia and you go to Australia, exactly. and you know it's, it happens. Yeah. All right. So let's turn. Let's finish with Ohio State, Michigan, Chad. Like two schools I think you have no connection to, if I'm correct about this, as a University of Maine guy. Um, this should be, unless something crazy happens, the highest viewership game of the year. And what it will do, and you have to give them credit for this, is it will be another feather in the cap for Fox, which has created this noon window. 
and really has made it a, a destination window for college football fans. You know, I you know, it seems like the Big Ten schools love it. If I was a Pac-12 school, I, I don't think I'd love it given the time frame. But you know, they have figured this out, and this will be their um, you know, this will be their showcase game this year because unless it's like a forty-nine nothing blowout early, you, you're talking about two, I think, of the three best viewership teams. In, historically in the country with Ohio State, Michigan, obviously Alabama being along with Ohio State. So this looks to be like a mega a mega game, Chad. You see it that way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what did the uh, Michigan Michigan State game yet? It was around, uh, around 9 million, right, the, the viewership. So, I mean, this is, uh, I think nationally, uh, the, this is uh, even bigger than that. Um, yeah, just uh, – in terms of the history there, going back to, you know, Schembechler and Hayes and all of that. And, uh, yeah, they have found, uh, they really have found a, uh, a, a nice spot in that, in that window. And, uh, they've been very fortunate too this year that, uh, you know, the, the higher end teams in the big 10 have been, uh, uh, so compelling and, 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 and good. And, uh, I think, uh, I think we're looking at an enormous number here and, uh, it's, I suspect the game is probably going to justify that. So, um, you know, it's worked out really well for them and it'll work out well for them again. Yeah. Let's knock on wood that that's a close game. So Austin, I want to ask you this because, you know, you, um, you know, you work out of Charlotte. Do you live in Charlotte too? Mm -hmm. I do. All right. So you're, 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 you're much more of a college football hotbed than Chad and I, um, we have main UNH up here. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'm saying, yeah, oh yeah, actually, I'm well, I'm in Toronto, Chad. Not exactly an American college football hotbed, so I'm combining me and you, so you get negative points because All of right. me. Um, so one of the things that, that here's a promo for your uh, for your company, Austin, at the uh, Sports Business um, uh, Journal's conference, uh, Media Innovators, Sean McManus in a conversation. Basically, I think maybe turn some heads in saying that, yeah, our SEC deal is going to end in two years, and it's been an incredible deal for us, but we're not going to get out of the college football game. Like, we think this 3.30 p.m. Eastern time slot is the best time slot in college football. We're going to continue to do high-level college football. We're still going to be a player. So that was kind of interesting to me, but in order to be a player, um, Austin, Sean McManus either has to get a part of this Big Ten deal that's coming up, or he believes that the Pac-12 can slot into that 330 window and maybe CBS tries to do for the Pac-12 what it did for the SEC. Just an open-ended question because you were at this conference. What did you think of McManus's comments? And what do you think of the prospect of that window still being a, a big window in a post-SEC universe? I mean, my ears definitely perked up a little bit when I heard that. It was like, all right, you know, he's, he's in it to win it still. And they see the value in live sports and particularly college football, obviously. They've been involved with CBS for so uh, with the SEC, excuse me, for so long, and that's going to be shifting to ESPN. But I think it, I think what Fox has done with this window has shown CBS, like, all right, we can, you know, maybe the Big Ten is our, is our answer, and maybe there's some sort of shared package when the Big Ten comes up soon. I mean, that's the next conference that'll have their big big uh, rights deal coming up. But yeah, kudos to Fox on really creating that noon window as destination viewing for college football, whether it's Michigan, you know, whether it's Penn state, whether it's Ohio state, obviously is in there a lot. Um, and you know, if Fox is want to going to want to continue to be a player in college sports, yeah, they're going to have to keep a lot of those names there for that package. Huh. You know, when, uh, when they're negotiating that, uh, I think 
Ohio State, Michigan will be a big number. Uh, I hope it's not reflective of what Ohio State did to Michigan State. I thought that'd be a little more of a competitive game, and uh, that was a blowout. But, uh, you know, if anything, you know, the past uh, windows have shown that it's going to be incredibly strong. Uh, it's that, that matchup, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, is much bigger than Texas, Oklahoma, you know, especially in the last decade or so. Uh, I think LSU, Alabama used to kind of give it a run for its money, but that has fallen by the wayside a little bit as LSU has, you know, is trying to figure out what's going on with their program. But so it, it is the marquee game right now and uh, couldn't come at a better time for Fox. John, I'm going to give you the final word here. I, I mean, and we should, uh, we'll, we'll publicly cite Mike Mulvihill, um, an executive vice president. There's really just not enough executive vice presidents, by the way, in, in television, Austin and Chad. I mean, I really uh, amazing that, 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 that I'm gunning that, for my own executive yeah. title. Don't, don't uh, hinder my negotiation. Amazing that that title uh, just doesn't have enough people. He's uh he's got one of these fancy titles, head of strategy and analytics. It's totally, uh, totally made up clearly by Mike Mulvihill, but give him credit because this, that's, this is the Pied Piper who basically pushed that, um, pushed the data and details on his bosses to say we could really we can make this noon window work and kind of own a slice of college football where ESPN has owned everything. And to their credit, they've done it. And they obviously need the programming. There is no big noon window without uh, the Big Ten contract. But if you got the inventory, um, that's a great job to sort of create something. So, Chad, like, it, tell me if I'm crazy. I, I might be, but like, I'm not convinced. Like, the Pac-12 is always going to be down. And maybe McManus looks at like, okay, USC and UCLA and Oregon and uh, Oregon. I always mispronounce that. Um, Brianna Green, who's a reporter out there, uh, uh, has uh, emailed me to tell me I or has told me on Twitter that I uh, that I blow that. So I apologize. A quality reporter out there. I'll, I'll do better. Um, and so I kind of think that like, it, I'm I'm not convinced that you could not create a 3:30 p.m. window with some of these. Pac, Pac-12 teams that do have football legacy, if um, if those teams sort of get back into the, you know, the national conversation, am I crazy? And I wonder if Ben McManus was talking about this. Maybe he wasn't even thinking Big Ten, even though he's got a um, a basketball deal with the the Big Ten. Maybe he was thinking Pac-12 when it opens up. Yeah, maybe Pete Carroll can go back to USC now that things are uh, falling <laughs> apart. Yeah, Seattle, maybe. Uh, all, all all fences have been bended there. Well, well I mean, what needs to happen is in uh, the Pac-12. Teams uh, need to start keeping top tier talent in California. Yeah, uh, look at look at the game we talked about first. C.J. Stroud is 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 a California kid who, um, you know, ended up at Ohio State, and uh, those those uh, uh, top shelf future NFL high uh, five star prospects aren't staying in state, and so. Uh, overall, the the not just the quality of the league has gone down, but the star power uh, that uh, uh, you know recycles every few years when guys graduate, but uh, uh, for a little bit of time anyway, drive uh, uh, help drive viewership when you have a really uh, well known college player for a couple of years. Um, they, those guys aren't sticking around, and that's the number one thing that needs to happen. And I, I it's plausible. I mean, you just got to recruit better. Uh, there's tradition there. And uh, a little bit of history in that conference, but uh, uh, it, it, it's a matter of uh, above all else keeping the highest quality players in state, and that's just not happening. All right, so here, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna crush myself here. So not only have I made a mistake on the name of that program, uh, the alma mater of Marcus Mariota, it's Brenna Green, not Brianna Green. 
and she is a sports director at KREM2 News in Spokane. So, I mean, you want to talk about just a, an incredibly horrible job by me in during this podcast, like multiple mistakes. Come on, man. You didn't um, call it Spokane, at least. Yeah, I do. Is it Spokane or Spokane? I think I might even have blown that. That's fine, Patrick. No, don't cut no. any of this out. Like, I mean, I mean, I want those <laughs> angry comments on uh, on iTunes about how I should be replaced by Jimmy Trana or someone else like that. Um, well, this is a uh, this is one to watch. Though I, I will say this, Austin. We'll, we'll, if you wanted to get in on this, we'll leave it in. We'll we'll let you have the last word. I, I don't think there's any doubt that CBS will certainly be a bitter when it comes to the. Um, you know, the Big Ten football rights, when those are up, the, the real question is just going to be what the Big Ten's, what the Big Ten wants and who ultimately gives the biggest check because that, those rights are going to go for a ton. I mean, those, to have a chance at the, at Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State, I mean, that's, you know, it's not the NFL, but it's, it's, it's as close you're going to get to NFL football outside of the SEC. So those rights are going to go for a ton. Yeah, I think one thing that Bob Backish and Sean McManus have shown is that they're going to be players at the table. Okay, They're not going away for whatever property is that's going to be out there. They're going to want to look to be in the conversation. You know, It was kind of a surprise to a lot of people when they added UEFA Champions League. But you know, here they are being a player in soccer, seeing the value of soccer. So I'm not counting them out on any of those uh, big properties that are coming up. All right. We'll all be getting, we'll all be hearing from Jen Sabatella, CBS Sports, for those nice words. All right. Chad Finn is the sports media writer for the Boston Globe, as well as a columnist there. Um, once again, the Patriots are back. I know that annoys the nation, but um, it's I, I, I think football is better when the Patriots are good. Belichick loves his team. Yeah. He's been in a great mood, and uh, that, uh, that that's one telltale sign. The, yeah, uh, no, I think how, how, he always gives away how he's feeling about it. I think I think he's I think he's got something going. And Austin Carp, of course, is the. Uh, can I call you the executive vice president, Austin? Did I just change your title. I love right. making new titles. Yeah, I'm going to push right, for he's that. The ex- he's the executive vice president of uh, of Sports Business Journal slash uh, Digital. All right, guys, listen. As always, I, I appreciate your uh, I appreciate your time and insight and you will certainly be back soon on the sports media podcast i appreciate it guys thank you all right back in the studio my thanks to rebecca Lowe as well as austin carp and chad finn for their time and their conversations really appreciate them coming on thanksgiving week happy thanksgiving week to everybody who's listening to this head to the archives for previous conversations if you like this kind of content before this episode, we had a conversation with ESPN's Mike Breen and the CBS Turner Sports Yes Network announcer, Ian Eagle. Mike Breen and Ian Eagle are longtime friends, um, grew up basically in the same generation, both uh, two exceptional NBA play-by-play broadcasters. I'm not sure they've ever done a podcast together, so that was a ton of fun where they basically took you through their process and how they know each other. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that's a conversation you enjoyed. Before that, Pam Oliver of Fox Sports on uh, her career. Pam Oliver now 60 years old and still kicking ass. That was a fun conversation to have. Prior to that, Chris Jericho of AEW and the Talk of Jericho podcast where he uh, talked a lot about reinvention in terms of uh, his character and his profession and just how he approaches media as a very, very well-known professional wrestler. Before that, Robert Griffin III of ESPN and Katie Strang and Mark Lazarus of The Athletic. Head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives. Uh, check out something you like. If you like the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his uh, producing uh, work on this podcast. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13 for the, their help. And thank you 
for listening. I want to wish everybody out there a, uh, a great Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy it uh, with your friends and family. And we'll see you soon on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.